the second season of Let's Schmooze. I'm Doug Ebach, the original screenwriter for the movie Sweet Home Alabama. Uh, each month I bring on guests to discuss topics related to writing for various entertainment media. Today my guests are writer-director Khalil Solens and editor Howard Hurd. They collaborated on the film Listening, currently available on Amazon Prime. Welcome guys. Um, so Khalil, for those who have not seen the movie, do you just want to kind of uh, Tell us what it's about. Pitch the movie to us a little bit. Uh, yeah. I mean, hello, first of all. Nice seeing you guys. Uh, nice seeing you, Doug. Uh, yeah, Listening, it's a sci-fi thriller. It's uh, kind of a tech thriller, maybe. Uh, hard sci-fi based on real science. It's sort of out there about uh, college students who invent mind-reading technology. It's sort of like, what if telepathy was real? And uh, a lot of stuff that we made in the movie is sort of coming true now with Elon Musk's like neural lace and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it sort of explores all the implications of what a world would be like where we could read each other's thoughts in terms of, you know, personal relationships with the main character and his wife and his friends. And uh, then getting into like government conspiracy and privacy concerns. And uh, yeah, it gets uh, really big by the end. Uh, but yeah. And, and I have seen it and I recommend it for the, the people uh, following along here that have not seen it. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the development of the, like how the project kind of came together? Um, yeah, I mean, originally I wrote the script. Uh, I wrote it kind of thinking maybe I would sell it, but also keeping it, you know, low budget enough that I could produce myself if I decided to do that. Um, and yeah, so it's, it wasn't, it was, I tried to come up with a concept that like, you know, wasn't really CGI heavy, you know, but still had these like cool sci-fi elements. Uh, and yeah, the initial thought was just what if someone invented telepathy? And I did a lot of research into like how that might be po possible and sort of combining some stuff that was going on with uh, nanotechnology and then what was going on with brain computer interfaces it's like what if we combine these two fields you know would it be theoretically possible um and then yeah sort of got into you know developing a story around that and uh you know having these broke caltech students and uh uh them sort of yeah navigating their way through like making the invention of you know the century and uh everyone wanting their hands on it and uh yeah i ended up uh you know got interest interest from like some producers around in hollywood um took a few meetings uh but uh i didn't really feel like other people like got the gist of it you know they're kind of wanting you know i don't know make it younger sexier like, what does that mean oh add more sex scenes or something like that. i'm like okay that's not the movie we're making here whatever <laughs> you know like, uh, like there are elements to get into that, you know, like sure. uh, infidelity in a marriage. And if your spouse was, you know, hearing every thought that passed through your head, but uh, yeah, I ended up deciding to uh, go the indie route and uh, yeah, we financed, produced it ourselves, uh, put together a really good team. Uh, um, yeah. Great actors, uh, great crew. Uh, yeah. Got Howard on board to edit and uh yeah, did it uh, real indie style and uh, really, yeah, for a truly indie movie, uh, couldn't have been much happier with how it all uh, turned out. And uh, 
yeah, we had a pretty successful release, did a theatrical run, and uh, yeah, it's it's actually on like re-release right now uh, on Amazon Prime. Uh, yeah, after having a run on Netflix, and yeah, it's on all digital mediums now. So, cool. And Howard, do you want to uh, first of all, Howard, welcome. Um, and uh, do you want to uh, talk about how you got involved, or you know, and what your impression initially? <clears throat> Partly that, and and also if this is of interest to writers. Um, some comment quickly on what Khalil said, because by the time I did get started on the picture, Khalil had done so much thought into the screenwriting. When you mentioned the sexuality, and I, I can imagine that those that sell movies think sexuality means it's gotta be a sex scene. And yet there was sexual innuendo between Ryan um, and Jordan, the Ryan and Jordan characters beautifully woven throughout the dialogue early, as early as the first act. And that took uh, Khalil's homework for a long time to weave it all in there and it, and it fits in really naturally. So that was not something that editing created that was already in the script. Um, as far as my getting involved, I think, you know, um, Khalil had been my student a long time earlier. I, I perhaps it was 10 years or something earlier at Art Center. And uh, so Khalil had called me up and asked, I wanted to talk about working on the film. And by the time Khalil had called me, he'd already shot most of the picture. The Los Angeles and the Washington DC based uh, parts of the movie, which constitutes most of it, had already been um, shot and even put together to some degree. I think Khalil, you've been working on your own cut, I think, hadn't you been? I thought you were giving it quite a bit of work. Uh, yeah, a little bit, I mean, but it was going slow. Uh, Cause yeah, we're still, you know, uh, in pre-production on the Cambodia part of the shoot, you know, but, uh, but yeah, it had been like a couple minutes and I had like nine minutes or a couple months and I had nine minutes of the film. Right, right. That's so right. I was like, oh no. yeah, I, I can't do I, this. I mean, on my own. Khalil, in, 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 whatever else the film may also be, it's one of the most impressive, I think, independent projects I've seen in 45 years because Khalil was somehow fighting about all these battles all at once involving everything, including, as you say, the prep for Cambodia. And I may not remember all this perfectly well, but it, there were about 10 pages of script weren't there that were set in Cambodia, maybe even a little more, which you had elected not to shoot yet. So when, but I thought you had had 35 shooting days possibly before uh, you did Cambodia. Was it was, fair? it was 31 shoot days and then five or six more in Cambodia. Yes. Yeah, so okay. The total is yeah, 36 or 37. Right, right. So when Khalil brought me, you know, talked to me about coming onto the project um, that I'm remembering now, I think I pretty much started over and just started cutting it from scratch, but we had to cut everything except for the Cambodian material, which hadn't been shot yet. So we, and that was a very, I thought a smart move on Khalil's part to decide, let's make the United States part work, but also then you had to then meanwhile prep the Cambodia material and then you made one trip there just to scout and then another trip to shoot it, right? As I recall, so it was a lot of, of work to, to then, then to bring in the Cambodia material after we'd already, we hoped we had shaken down the other scenes as well as more or less get them decent, you know? And so, so the reason I kind of wanted to have you guys on here is do you talk about, you know, screenwriters at the beginning of the process, Right. You know, we're, we, you know, we kind of have this total control in the script phase, obviously thinking about production stuff and clearly you mentioned you're thinking about you know, something you can shoot yourself, right? Right, um, right. You know, and budget care concerns and all those kind of things. Um, but, you know, I think like sometimes 
particularly if you don't have maybe film school experience or something where you've done production, um, you know, like the screenplay is designed for production. So, you know, there's, there's things that, that um, you write. I just, from my own personal experience, like just a very small example of what I'm trying to talk about is, you know, I would write things that would get cut out in post. And I would think, you know, mm -hmm. gee, if it got cut out, in, like in the best version of the screenplay, I would have cut that out in the screenplay, right? So I wouldn't <laughs> well, have had to shoot it, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, if it was going to get cut out anyway. Um, but of course, you, some of that's uncontrollable. You'll, you never quite know what the performance is going to be or, you know, uh, cutting for an error of time and so forth. But um, yeah, so I just kind of want to talk about that experience of how the film gets rewritten in editing and maybe what writers can learn from that. So, yeah. so I guess, yeah, so any comment on that? Yeah, totally. I mean, I mean, yeah, a couple thoughts. I mean, yeah, you're talking about like actors' performances, stuff like, I mean, we definitely went through that same process for listening. Yeah, a bunch of stuff ended up on the cutting room floor um, and definitely learned, yeah, a lot about screenwriting going through the editing process uh, so intimately with Howard and, uh, and yeah, some of it, like, as far as actors' performances, you know, I learned, yeah, okay, a lot of, like, maybe we had a lot of dialogue, didn't need to be there, uh, especially mm -hmm. with exposition, you know, and, like, with this mm -hmm. film in particular, you know, it's like, okay, two people are reading each other's minds, and we have, like, a head patch here and a wire going to someone else, head patch there, and I had all this dialogue explaining the science of it, and then, like, once you see it on camera, you're like, okay, you just see <laughs> it, you know what's going on, you don't need all yeah. that exposition, you know, but other times I felt like, you know, there was dialogue that was on the page that ended up not making the final film, but it was kind of necessary for the actors, I think, you know, mm -hmm. like that it would have been bad writing to be like, you know, David looks into Melanie's eyes and we understand all the history between them and all the feeling this that, you know, you put it all the subtext there. So you write like more dialogue and have them have an actual scene and then the actors are able to nail it with a couple looks and you see like all the emotion behind it. Uh, yeah, so in some of it, yeah, that was a credit to the actors and the performances, I think. But uh, I don't know if we would have gotten there without having some dialogue, you know, like mm -hmm. even if it did end up on the cutting room floor. And I do think like sometimes that expo expository dialogue you're talking about, when you're trying to sell a script, you know, when you're writing a script for development, mm -hmm. sometimes that stuff has to go in there because you don't have the visual. So when, you know, a producer or right. a studio exec or somebody is reading it, you know, you, you sometimes need to over explain it. I guess like as a writer, I sometimes hope like that the director is smart enough not to shoot it. It isn't really needed. Um, I don't know if I know that I know specifically always what those things are, but you kind of hope that, uh, yeah, you get to the set and realize, oh yeah, we can we can cut this. Did the, did the story change very much in post-production? I mean, I think, yeah, there were a couple big changes. One of the biggest ones, the Cambodia stuff that Howard was mentioning. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think I went through a process of like, like you, I really identify with what you're saying. Just as a screenwriter, you're like in total control, you know, and it's like mm -hmm. anything you imagine and you fit it together just the exact right way. And I remember when I came to Howard at first and we we're doing the initial assembly, I was like, well, like I want to see my initial vision first. Like I want to see mm -hmm. the movie I wrote just as it is. And then we'll go in and hack everything away we don't need and make it much more efficient and everything else. And I think I was pretty detached in that process, but I kind of wanted to almost like prove the concept first, you know, be like, okay, mm -hmm. like before we would cut a scene out of the movie, we'd be like, let's make it the best version of that scene it can possibly be. So we know for sure that it doesn't work, you know, not like we're cutting it out just because 
we haven't really given it a shot, you know, in the editing process. Um, and some of that was with the Cambodia footage. Like, I think, like, I really learned a lot about difference between kind of mystery and confusion, you know, like mm -hmm. the Cambodia stuff throughout the film. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, so people understand, I guess, like the, the main story is, you know, these, these guys create something that ends up being used for like really bad purposes. And the main character escapes to the jungle in Southeast Asia somewhere. We don't know where to like learn meditation techniques to be able to hide his thoughts, to be able to come back and help destroy the technology while he's, his thoughts are being monitored. Um, and so in the original script, we had these like scenes in the jungle where the main character obviously looked different, you know, had a beard now and had been through hell, you know, and like, and I was hoping like the audience would see him and be like, okay, what's going on? Like, and they would hook them and build some mystery. But really it was like so different from the rest of the film that it just kind of confused the audience when we would do test screenings and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You know, I realized kind of like, you know, we want mystery, but we want the audience asking the right questions, you know, and if the question is just what the hell is going on, like, that's not, uh, mm -hmm. that's not the right question, I guess, you know, it's more like, okay, what did they do that went so wrong? And, uh, and uh, yeah, so we, but we did assemble it the original way where it was kind of like every 30 minutes, every 20, 30 minutes in the film, we had a scene in the jungle. And then at some point, you know, near the end of the second act, like the two timelines met up and it, uh, proceed as normal and we went you know eventually to a more traditional thing of starting at the end starting with Cambodia mm -hmm. playing out the bulk of the story as normal and then near the end of the second act going back to Cambodia and telling that story and it going chronologically uh, mm -hmm. but we really had to go through that process of editing and test screenings and really seeing like yeah I don't know yeah what was coming across to the audience and to the viewer and uh yeah, I kind of learned a lot about, yeah, story structure, I think, through the editing process. Mm -hmm. Was there any feedback on the script that 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 was confusing? I mean, did, I don't know what kind of feedback you got. You obviously showed it to some people. Did anybody say, I don't understand the Cambodia stuff? Or Yeah, in, in the script, it wasn't, yeah, I didn't really get much feedback that way. I think, like, yeah, in general, with the script, it was kind of this cool, exotic element, you know, like... Uh, and uh, maybe it was like, as far as on the page, it was maybe shorter than it was screen time, you know, uh, mm -hmm. when we actually shot it. Uh, but yeah, that's a good question. I don't know why it really didn't. Yeah, I don't remember getting many notes uh, about it being confusing at the script stage, but it may have just been easier to like brush past it and keep going, you know, with mm -hmm. the bulk of the story versus like, yeah, you're pausing for a minute or two and, uh, and, yeah, taking the segue, I guess. You know what crosses, if I can interject a quick suggestion, I never thought of it quite this way before. When a nonverbal scene is in a script, it might be harder to assess it for anyone reading it in the good or bad sense that they kind of just flip past it because they don't know what to say if it's not if it's not dialogue and it isn't shot yet. Maybe they can't say either way, you know, so they just couldn't tell that the Cambodia intercuts might not work. You know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And yeah. there wasn't dialogue in the bulk of it. Yeah. Right, right, right. Mostly not. Do you think, so there, one thing I know that I can sometimes mess up uh, uh, people reading a script, it, you know, because you have the character's name 
written in the script, right? Yeah. Do you think there was any confusion? You mentioned he had a beard that whether the actor was the actor or, or was that not a problem? No, it wasn't that. It was just, you know, like, I think it was just such an odd juxtaposition, you know, that like it wasn't obvious, like this is the future, or this is the past or an alternate reality, you know, because in the movie does get into like mind space and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. There are kind of scenes that take place inside the brain, so to speak, you know, so like it was more like there were all these potential possibilities for what it could be. And it wasn't necessarily like, yeah, I don't know. It wasn't all bad. I don't want to say that, oh. but it was just like, I wanted the audience very clearly to understand like, you know, from the outset that this is going to get so bad, you know, that like the world hangs in the balance and that's, and so it built up attention from the get-go when we have these like small scenes, you know, at the main character's house with his wife, with his kids, you know, suddenly like little intimate domestic scenes, mm -hmm. like, carry more weight because we know the world's gonna hang in the balance but that's the part that what i'm saying is like the audience wasn't asking the right questions you know it was more mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. what's going on not like what did they do that is going to destroy the world if that makes sense so so we made it more explicit you know and just opened with it and with a dialogue scene where it kind of explicitly the main character says that when he goes to this monk and asks for help uh so we ended up kind of reversing the order of the Cambodia stuff, actually, to get mm -hmm. to like, the meat of it mm -hmm. and actually open the film with that to get the audience to like understand, OK, the stakes are going to be really high at some point mm -hmm. um, and the world is going to hang in the balance, you know, and now we can go through this kind of smaller domestic story that's going to build back up to that. In fact, putting it positively, it's not so much that the Cambodian material was bad at all. I was loving all of it, but the but. What was good was that the story about uh, Jordan and, and Ryan and David and also David's family story were, po were positively a strong pull, I thought. Uh, and maybe even, I don't know if, if it was more than we thought, but the point is I was loving that. I was just engrossed in that story also for the yeah. first and second acts kind of. Yeah, that's a good, so I don't know how much you remember the, the decision-making process, Howard, um, and you don't necessarily have to talk even just about listening, but, um, you know, like it, it is interesting that you're kind of tasked sometimes with, in a sense, rewriting the script, uh, um, but with a limited amount of material, right? <laughs> so, you know, this was not really repurposing the material, sort of just reordering the, the information delivery to the audience. Um, yeah. But uh, does that happen quite a bit where you have to kind of like construct something that wasn't even there out of... <clears throat> material um you know actually because uh, and again it, it sounds like i'm just being a, a politician in saying that the story had fundamentally good bones before we i got involved at all but but that's partly true um that it did already have good bones before i started um maybe there's more deeper latitude in the nonverbal passages though understandably that's probably true in most movies that where david was in training with the the monk and everything where he's, um, we have all these very montage material where Khalil had to shoot all kinds of amazing material where maybe we didn't wanna know exactly how it was gonna go together until we started cutting it. We did a lot of structuring then understandably and, and that would have been true with any, any film that if you have long nonverbal passages, it's true. Obviously you'd structure a lot of it in the editing. Um, 
So we did that. And then also in terms of restructure, I know Khalil had to remain open-minded about taking scenes out as he kind of touched on. There was one scene in act one, I think, where, where I believe, and Khalil, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we had David Ryan and probably Jordan were eating lunch and they were like in a taco place or something. Remember that? And it was a dialogue scene. Yeah. But I think you felt that we just had to take it out. And there, that is a tricky thing about somebody's, about your front story is when do you lose sense of the magnetic pull of the story by having a little too much, either too much exposition or just, just something that you thought was right on the main highway and then it of the story. And then it turns out that it's not. It turns out that it's, kind of a side story that you need to take out so we did you know say goodbye to some things and it took a lot a lot of screenings to come to that I think yeah and I think this being my first film like I had what's maybe a common problem like you know you think it might be the only movie you ever work on so you try to cram everything yeah. in there you know yeah you know, this would be a cool idea that would be a cool idea so I think with listening it was less like you know having to construct stuff that wasn't there and more like you know, trying to really narrow it in on the A story, you know, it's like, okay, you can have your A story and your B story, but I also had like a C and a D and an E story, you know, that yeah, uh, yeah. we realized really wasn't relevant by then. And yeah, another big change was the actual end of the film, you know, like there was like a whole epilogue that tied to like, yeah, and as far as structure in general, like in the original script, David was kind of narrating this story to his daughter, you know, yeah we see that years later he's in prison you know and 20 years later his daughter's grown up or whatever um and yeah it's like like what how we're talking about this magnetic pull of like okay you know when is the story driving forward and pulling us forward and when is it like slowing down and that was one of the things that yeah David telling the story to his daughter even at the very end of the movie you know it's like okay this epilogue isn't even really necessary if mm -hmm. that's not necessary mm -hmm. maybe none of the you know voiceover of like David telling the story to his daughter isn't necessary throughout the whole film and there wasn't that much voiceover you know it's just a little bit no, no. there but it was but it was like a device that we just yeah removed entirely uh, yeah yeah even though yeah that was our that was our most expensive shoot day it was our biggest shoot day we shot in <laughs> down women's prison in LA and it was, oh my yeah, God. It was like but yeah then it, it, it didn't make the movie better you know so you really gotta yeah you gotta be cutthroat you know and not be attached to it and just you know do what's best for the film what's best for the story and <laughs> apropos of that the the pain of t dropping one's last scene when you're a writer director and there's almost no way to bring it up in the editing gee i think we should drop the last scene but well, I'd been an assistant editor for 12 years and I'd worked with a couple on some pretty major studio pictures that are very well known, first time directors, but they were already highly achieved either as actors or screenwriters. And wouldn't you know, a couple of those, the biggest pictures I ever worked on as an assistant, they dropped their last scenes. Mm -hmm. And I'd already been through it as an assistant and I knew it could happen. And it just, you can't believe, I mean, because when you're a writer, there's a certain tone you want to end with. And the story, you've lived with the story for maybe three years or something with a certain ending. And suddenly somebody in the cutting room is saying, take it out. You know, <laughs> it's just really, but there is that sense sometimes you have to listen to the magnetism in the, in the story. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't realize you've been through it before. Yeah, I remember. Oh, I, oh my God. Because Howard was the first one who brought it up and he was very diplomatic every time Howard had kind of <laughs> some radical ideas. 
you know, maybe what do you think about that? You know, I remember you, yeah, you're always very diplomatic in bringing up these rock pledges. I was always open minded, you know, I was like, yeah, whatever's yeah, yeah. Story better, let's do it. And, uh, and yeah, for sure, you know, and we tested it with audiences too, you know, informally, not like big test screenings or whatever, but you know, we do these screenings for like, yeah, five or eight people. Yeah, Doug, I think you came to one of those. And oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, actually, I don't remember. Yeah, you might have some. Yeah, I don't remember what. Doug had some awesome notes. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember what they were. I'm sure they were helpful. Oh, 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 I don't know. Yeah, no, yeah. no, no. Yeah, oh. and it, it's. I one time, sometimes I jokingly tell my students, "Let's have a film festival that's the next to last cut of all your favorite films," and and look at how awful they are before you take off the end endings. And as I said, there's some pictures. My favorite year in Risky Business, where they we changed the endings stunningly. And people will never see those endings. And it's probably just as well, kind of, I hate to say, but it is what it is. Yeah, it isn't. I mean, I think a lot of, uh, you know, just film audience members and also, you know, film fans and, and yeah, probably people in, you know, screenwriters that don't go through the processes because they're not directors or whatever that, um, you know, like you don't realize how different that first cut is mm. from, from the last yeah. cut. And like, you see this like genius, it's, it's a little bit of the myth of like the screenwriting of, well, like a true artist is going to become fully formed in the first track. Like it, that never mm. happens, you know, it's the same thing, same thing with a cut. So, um, and I know uh, like the, you know, it's a thing with directors that you're aware of how hard it was to shoot something and that can color your decision making process. Like the thing that you work so hard to get is harder to cut than the thing that was, you know, easy. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Yeah. And I really tried to stay detached with that. And, but yeah, you're right that, uh, you know, it's, you can't just, uh, a screenplay isn't born fully formed, you know, it no. is meant to be transformed into something else, you know, and it does get rewritten when the actors, you know, are uh, performing and rewritten again in the editing process, you know, and it's the way I kind of approached it was kind of, you know, it was really making the movie was like three and a half years of my life, maybe it was kind of like every day, how do I make this better? You mm -hmm. know, and at some point you decide, okay, well, we're moving on from just writing screenplay into pre-production and eventually production. But the whole time I thought it was kind of one process of like continually making the movie better, continually improving the story. Um, yeah, and so you're continually rewriting, you know, all the way to the very end of post-production, uh, really. Mm -hmm. um, is there anything that you feel like you learned? I mean, we kept talking about this a little bit, any, any kind of like, tips for screenwriters having gone through the process anything that uh, you kind of wish you knew when you were writing the script um i don't know you know like something i was kind of grateful for was like you know not putting too many uh parameters on myself you know is making a real micro budget and being like okay what is it that as far as an independent film writer director you know something like i could really produce you know like i could it, when I was in film school, I kind of did that. I was like, yeah, I remember our first semester at Art Center, it was like we had to make like six short films and, you know, one mm -hmm. term or something. So I was kind of like, okay, well, what do I have access to? And it's like everything I shot was inside my apartment, you know? Mm -hmm. And people do that, you know, they try and make a micro-budget movie and like, okay, let's make it all in one room or one house or, you know, it's horror movie all in one house or it's all mm -hmm. in one car, road trip movie or whatever. And yeah, that stuff's fine. But uh, I feel like not, you know at the writing stage, it's kind of the most exciting stage because you can come up with any crazy wild idea, you know, and then the fun part is like, okay, how do we actually execute this, you know? And like, yeah, like I remember, yeah, the scene with David 
he has like an interaction with a tiger in the jungle you know mm-hmm. and I remember that was like an out-of-body experience you know kind of like because I remember being in my apartment in Hollywood and writing this and being like well there's no way you know but this is fun you know <laughs> like, looks at a tiger tiger looks back and it's like okay but, but then we found a way to make it happen you know like you fly everyone to Cambodia we found this animal sanctuary and happened to get a tiger right at the right moment like looking right at the camera and everything else and sort of cut it together with yeah so I don't know like I think that stuff is kind of fun and not trying to put too many like limits on the creativity but more like have fun while you're writing and then figure out how to do it you know like then that's the fun of production really um yeah so I almost feel like yeah I could have gone even you know crazier with stuff or Mm -hmm. whatever like uh yeah because once you get a whole team together and you're going for it like it's also not just you right none of this stuff was just me like when you're writing it's all just you in a room but you know to make a movie it takes dozens and dozens hundreds of people you know like and you get all these people putting in their input and their blood sweat and tears and you end up you know creating something special so it's fun when it's something really worthwhile and imaginative or you know original Mm -hmm. you'd been courageous to shoot in front of the lincoln memorial and it looked when we first got the dailies like, uh oh, it's never going to work. We got tourists looking right at the camera. We're losing our light here. The remember the coverage was hard nighttime and the wide shot was late afternoon. But I was looking at it again and the color grading. You guys remember you color graded for two weeks and and it came out looking pretty good. I mean, because you reached for a really tricky scene. Yeah. And we shot. Yeah. And that's, you know, it was like we used old tricks. We shot day for night, you know, like, yeah. okay can't afford a ton of lights to light up you know the whole right real and the whole stairs and everything in front of it so yeah we'll shoot day for night and we'll you know replace the sky and post and and yeah but it was hard yeah it was you couldn't get a permit to like keep tourists out there you know we weren't a huge <laughs> budget movie and even when you are you know lincoln memorial like they're a whole company you can't no matter how big you are you can't go into the lincoln memorial no. film around there like so when you see it in most films it's always cgi and their company mm-hmm. that's all they do is the cgi of the lincoln memorial because even if you're at yeah, you're a huge a huge production yeah they won't give you the permit to go in there but uh right yeah, right so that was a case where you opened the picture up by reach by thinking big and obviously it's a little hard to tell the difference between dc and la if you're always indoors right? The scenes are going to, you have no sense that they went back east. So that was really awesome. You know, that you could do that. Howard, do you have any, anything that you wish screenwriters, not, not Khalil specifically, but, uh, you know, just screenwriters in general knew, uh, when they were writing their scripts that as an editor, you kind of, I don't know, messes you clean up or, or things that would make your life easier. It is, you know, I have read quite well. In fact, literally in the last week, I mean, I've looked at student scripts where I, I realized they could be trimming things down in the script, at the script level. And maybe just if they're willing, just in general, and this is where Khalil was already excellent at this. Khalil was always open-minded about having people look at the script and give him side reads and, and critiques, including after we shot as well as before we he shot. But I guess being open-minded about making the cuts while it's still in the script form probably would be good. Even though what Kula says is right, that some of the dialogue does need to be there for the actors and does need to be there for, for as you say, for would-be producers that read your script, they'll need some of that. Um, but I have seen scripts that 
could stand to be cut down in, in the script form also. Um, and I, I guess some of this is already common knowledge, but if there's a little too much pretense of talking about dictating the editing in the script, it's probably not a good idea because nobody knows what the, the cutting is gonna be in the, uh, it's ironic, isn't it? Because sometimes people say that a script is a blueprint for a film, but that might be a very bad misnomer because in a blueprint, you really do put the walls where the blueprint says to put them. But filmmaking is not building a building really, is it? It's much goofier than that. So you may not put the walls where the blueprint said to put them, you know? Well, and I'm, yeah, I'm, in, in that regard, I'm kind of a big believer in the, the process is the process, right? And that it's, yeah. it's I, I see it less with editing, although some, you know, especially with montages and things where the editing is dictated, but also camera work gets dictated oh, yeah. in, in scripts. And, and my feeling is like, how do you know the best place to put the camera? You, you haven't rehearsed, you haven't seen your location, right. you know? And if you if you kind of commit yourself to this shot, particularly if you're a writer-director, you commit yourself mentally to the shot, you may miss the much better shot that if you kind of went into it with an open mind and just told the story in the script. I, I know it seems like the, 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 it seems like a contradiction in terms that your writing shouldn't be too cinematic. That's kind of ironic. If it's just on paper, maybe it shouldn't be too cinematic, maybe. Yeah. I, it's hard to figure that out. It, that's very, very tricky to figure out that, how to put yeah, it. That makes sense though. Yeah, I, yeah, I believe that. It's when someone's reading the script, you want them just engaged in the story. You want them yeah. feeling like they're watching a movie, but not because they're reading shot for shot for shot, you know, but right. just, yeah, they're identifying with the characters, they're emotionally involved, you know, they're, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, hooked into it. You know, the other thing, yeah, that I think I wish I understood more when I was writing and really didn't get until we got to the editing process. It's kind of like the concept of sequencing, you know, and kind yep. of like what, what is to be gained from, you know, the scene that comes after the scene you're writing, you know, like when you cut in film, I mean, that's what makes film magic, right? We have yeah. the, the cut, you know, no other artistic medium has that, you know, and and yeah, it's okay, what are you cutting out, you know, and making story efficient, but it's also like with the scene that comes after the scene you're watching right now, how does that drive the story forward or add an element you didn't think about, you know, or like, you know, you can end up with, you know, a, the total sum being more than the parts, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and some of that is like the, uh, the uh, what Howard was talking about with listening in the Cambodia footage, you know, it was kind of like, the main story was working so well yeah. that every time we took a detour from it, you know, you had to like then work yourself back into the main story. And we mm -hmm. lost a lot of power of the sequencing of having like, okay, A to B to C to D and like it working that way. Um, yeah, which I guess when you're writing, yeah, I hadn't, yeah, it's a difficult concept to like describe even. I don't even know yeah. the right way to describe it, you know, but when you're in there cutting, like it makes sense. Uh, but when I was writing, I certainly wasn't thinking that way. You know, I was more mm -hmm. thinking about balancing all these different stories and giving a little bit of this and a little bit of that and the right amount of, you know, time emotionally and plot to lead the different elements or whatever, not really thinking as much about the sequence and the drive and it making sense as far as the next like step you're going to take in the story and that being natural for mm -hmm. the audience too um, and what i this is just my thing but when i quickly looked at the picture again i 
what I what stands the test of time for me is something that Khalil probably took for granted when he was writing the script through many drafts, which is that the dialogue between David and Ryan, especially with some Jordan thrown in there, is very rapid fire. And I like their lingo, and that took that uh, Khalil had to figure that out with his ear, but it's very tightly constructed, and and yet um, it actually manages the exposition in a way that isn't very wordy and doesn't slow things down very much. Even though by the nature of the beast, if if it's a sci-fi film, there's a lot of exposition intrinsic to that concept, right? Because it isn't just boy meets girl or something. It's boy meets girl with sci-fi gadgets on their heads. And so you have to explain somewhat your MacGuffin somehow. And, and yet I thought that the dialogue did that without feeling, you know, heavy. You know, it didn't slow anything down. And that's a credit to the actors too, really. You know, gave them all this difficult stuff saying, yeah, they did a good <laughs> job making it, you know, feel natural. And uh, yeah, yeah, and the banter. And, and yeah, with casting, you know, we did casting of having them read together and stuff and trying different combinations of actors with each other to get the right chemistry and stuff. Too. Yeah, I continue to like that a lot, just listening to their back and forth a lot. Even a second time viewer might like it a lot because of that, that the banter is very, um, it's very rich, you know. So Howard, is it which is easier, getting something that is really tightly scripted or getting something that is a little more loose and, and gives you a lot of options. You know, the curious thing is, what I would say is for an editor to have as much time as possible might be the one big liberator, no matter what the uh, material is, is to make sure the editing has enough time. Because it may be, because when you spend a long time writing a script and shooting it, you may think you know how long it'll take to edit a movie. But I've worked on some pictures where even an exec producer who know, who was actually the wife of the director was saying, when are we gonna be done? And here they are a married couple and the director is saying, well, we're gonna be done when we're done. And he, and he wouldn't even tell his own wife, exec producer, oh no, we can be done by X, Y, Z date. No, he said, no, we gotta, we gotta do, and it was for network and everything. And he just said, we don't know. <laughs> and that sounds ironic. How can you possibly not know if you know how long it took to write? Why shouldn't you know how long it takes to edit? But you kind of don't always, you know, um, but as far as, yeah, how pre-thought, I mean, you can think as hard as possible with the script and still not be sure how to cut it, I guess, even, you know, and, um, but I, I guess you just have to know the characters and the writing, no matter how it'll be edited, you know, when you're writing it. Yeah, that's, I guess, one of the advantages of indie film is you don't have a release date that you're trying to like rocket right. towards. I mean, I think, right. yeah, some of the big studio films um, get in trouble there where they've already announced, you know, two years before they even started shooting, they've announced the release date. And so you, you got to get it done. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, but, oh, but yeah. even in indie film, yeah, it's like other movies we've produced since listening. That's kind of the main bit of advice we give the filmmakers because indie filmmakers get seduced into wanting to hit festival deadlines oh you know? yeah like well i really want to hit the sundance deadline or tribeca deadline or canada whatever it is you know and a rushing a rough cut and first of all yeah you shouldn't be sending a rough cut that was another thing mm. i learned you know like unless your movie has tom cruise in it or something that festival directors know like are going to put butts in seats like you want the movie polished and done and ready mm -hmm. and uh there's really not that much difference of waiting another six months and being in the next year's application cycle. Uh, but yeah, even with indie filmmakers, like it, it, we've given advice, you know, 
on the producing side telling them the same thing like take your time with it make it the best version of the film it can possibly be and because you don't always have this luxury right like appreciate it when you have it um yeah in fact there's a kind of a bias in the system because if your film does poorly at sundance no one's going to talk about it and no one will know how many of those there were Whereas if your film does well at Sundance, everyone will talk about it. And that means going into it, you think your bias is thinking, well, we'll be, make a big hit and we can recut it. But if you don't do well or don't even get into Sundance, it won't help that you send it in prematurely. Yeah, and I, I do think there, you know, there was a, a period in the 90s where there were some kind of famous stories about Clerks and El Mariachi where they came in very rough and then there was a lot of money poured into making them presentable and mm-hmm. but, you know like I think these days there there's not a tolerance for that kind of like right proper movie you know um, yeah and that was something we went through listening I think because the movie was so like large in scale sending rough cuts I think there was some like trepidation of like well are they actually going to be able to finish what they've set out to achieve mm-hmm. you know like and there's even though there wasn't a lot of CGI there were all these blank computer screens everywhere there That's were right. of, like you know composite shots we had to do and stuff like anyway yeah you, mm-hmm. yeah you're right right on that you, you got to polish it before you send it out yeah Khalil had pre-visualized so well all the computer screens that he could shoot them blank and he knew what he wanted and that was interesting to cut the whole picture without any content on computer screens uh, and then put them all in in post I, I marveled at the Cambodian material we had butterflies flying all around remember they were they were there I mean i people, anybody else that had money would have added them to make them look great. And they just happened to be there practical, mm-hmm. right? The advantage of a good location. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, what are you guys, what are you guys working on now or what's coming up next? Anything you wanna talk about? Uh, yeah, movie uh, my wife and I helped produce called Terrorize is coming out uh, Yeah, next week. Um, yeah, directed by uh, yeah, our friend Delaney, and we're really excited about that. Um, yeah, Howard was a bit involved in seeing some rough mm-hmm. cuts there and giving some notes too. Um, I've got a graphic novel I'm working on that's about halfway through. Uh, it's going to be a 12 issue run. It's about halfway. It's about halfway completed. It's not out yet, but that's going to be called The Disease. It's a serial killer story. Uh, I'm pretty excited about. Got a really good artist named Martin Tunico who's working on that right now. Uh, but yeah, and a couple other yeah scripts I got going on too. Cool, oh, that's great. Howard, anything that you want to uh, mention? Um, I I have been approached by a couple people who were slowed down by the quarantine, so I'm waiting to see what that's going to mean now that we're kind of coming out of quarantine. Um, and I guess I guess I don't know yet. I have to contact them again and see see what's going on. Yeah, I get, fortunately, it looks like everything is starting to finally kind of loosen up. But it was a it was a rough year last year for sure. Yeah, uh, stuff completed. So. Yep. Yep. Well, thanks a lot, guys. Very informative. Um, yeah. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Great talking. Thank you. And uh, for those listening, thank you for joining us today. Uh, be sure to check out Listening on Amazon Prime. Also, the fourth edition of the Hollywood Pitching Bible, a book I wrote with producer Ken Aguado, is now available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, anywhere else you would buy books. Uh, I hope you'll join us next month for more schmoozing about writing.